Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's such a pleasure today to be here with a, a legend, an icon of Santa Barbara local journalism, sports writing, and somebody who's a real role model to a lot of us journalists and somebody who a lot of the athletes over multiple generations really admire. It's my pleasure to be here with John Zant. John, how are you doing today? I'm feeling good. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, you're such a uh, humble man, but an accomplished man. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you today about your career and your legendary sort of, um, you know, efforts to tell the stories of Santa Barbara and athletes and the sports community and where it's taken you, you know, outside of Santa Barbara and all over the world. But I want to lead off with uh, this huge honor that you have. You are being inducted into the Hall of Fame. John Zant is a Hall of Famer for the Santa Barbara Athletic Roundtable, and that's coming up real soon. That ceremony, congratulations. That's a huge deal. What does this mean to you, John? Well, it, it is an honor. Uh, I've been on the selection committee for the Hall of Fame for many years, and I had to recuse myself from the meeting uh, at which I was uh, selected for induction. Uh, and, you know, it's a panorama of all the great athletes who've come out of Santa Barbara, um, uh, you know, many of whom I covered. Uh, my first day at the news press, I went to a football practice at Santa Barbara High the day after Labor Day, 1968, and there was a Sam Cunningham hmm. who, uh, with a shoe-in Hall of Famer uh, after his career ended, but it was some time later, he went, after Santa Barbara High, of course, he went to UCSC, scored four touchdowns in the Rose Bowl in 1973, and then had a nine-year NFL career. Uh, um, and uh, he retired as the New England Patriots all-time leading rusher. And he hardly gained any yardage at SC because all he did was block for the tailbacks. Wow. So that's one of the... Many people I've written about, I wrote about Sam many times over the years, stayed in touch with him. And sadly, he passed away almost two years ago to this date. And uh, that's sort of the downside. You, some people get in the Hall of Fame because they're old. And uh, that's part of my gig. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, so Sam, you know, is gone and... Uh, the best basketball player of the first year I worked was Doug Little at San Marcos High School. He got he was in he's in the Roundtable Hall of Fame as well as the University of Oregon Hall of Fame. He was a great, great basketball player, and he passed away in the last year. And uh, one of my first uh, great stories following a team was Dos Pueblos High's basketball team in 1971. They won the CIF championship. Uh, Still a very young school, and that was a huge story. Uh, they won the championship in the sports arena in L.A., and their star player was Bruce Coldren, and Bruce passed away in the past year. So uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a tearjerker for me to be outliving uh, some of these great athletes I covered. <laughs> yeah, and so you have spent so many years being on the panel that inducts people into the hall of fame and now you're going you're going into it and so it's it's great it's sort of rewarding 
the person who uh, did so much to write about all these athletes and put them in the spotlight. And a lot of times sports writers get sort of forgotten, but in forgotten about during all of that. But if it weren't for the sports writers, those athletes would not have the platform that uh, they do have. So it's great that you get that recognition. John, let's let's talk about your career and and, and where you started. Uh, you've you've been a journalist for so many years, and we'll get to the news press and how that ended later. But um, talk to me about your your first uh, job as a as a sports journalist. How did you get into this industry? Well, I actually started uh, writing uh, in high school. I actually wrote a weekly report on my high school football team for. The locking out of Ellie's son. Mm. I played football and uh, we won a CIF championship, which uh, yeah, I grew up in LA during the 60s when, I mean, what a time to be, uh, to like to follow sports. Uh, you know, we had the Dodgers, you know, winning Koufax and Dreza winning World Series and the Rams. And my dad had season tickets for the Rams mm. and the Lakers came to town and they were all winners. And SC and UCLA. So uh, I came to UCSB very passionate about sports, and I became sports editor of the yearbook my junior year. For some reason, I got into the yearbook, and and uh, I was editor in chief of the 1968 UCSB yearbook, and uh, it was dedicated to T.M. Stork. And uh, through uh, my acquaintance with Don Bernstein. Uh, sports information director at U UCSB at the time. Uh, he was a great human relations guy. I've, he was a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, he got me an interview with Phil Patton at the news press, uh, fall of 68, and I got hired and was at work a week later. <laughs> the first time uh, covering sports on a daily basis instead of the yearbook, a, a year-long project. <laughs> And I'm just glad it was an afternoon paper at the time because uh, the first few years I covered high school football and basketball games, uh, I would sometimes try to write the greatest story, would write till two or three in the morning, and that never would have cut it for a morning paper. <laughs> uh, finally, I was able to speed things up when uh, News Press became a morning paper in the 80s. Uh, mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, it was not just sports writing. I mean, we had to, uh, you know, put out a whole sports section every day. We're sort of self-contained. You know, we we laid them out, laid the pages out, showed pictures, uh, you know, took phone calls. Uh, you know, we were the Internet in those days. Uh, people wanted to know a score. They called the newspaper, you know. Who won the Cincinnati Reds game? And there was a guy we called, the Cincinnati kid, who called us almost every day wanting to know how the Reds did and what Jack Nicholas did. And uh, um, and back then, you just picked up the phone and as politely as possible, you know, why don't you read the paper? But the paper's not going to come out till the next day, and they wanted to know it now. Mm -hmm. Of course, that is one blessing of the Internet for us, that people don't didn't have to call the newspaper anymore to find those things out. But... Uh, uh, so uh, anyway, it's a complete, complete thing. Putting out the paper, uh, you know, going to the composing room, putting the pages together. So, you know, the sport, the writing itself was just a small part of. Uh, well, you know, a third of my job or something was writing, and the rest was uh, 
you know, working on the desk and, uh, and it was great to get out though and cover games. That was what I loved the most. Huh? Yeah, the the sports writer and the sports desk. There's so much production that goes into putting out that physical paper, especially back in the day. And so you sort of have to be a jack of all trades and be able to know how to do all that. What is it about sports writing that that appealed to you? You know, some sports writers are former athletes, and when the time came when they couldn't be athletes anymore, they they found a way to stay in by being sports writers. Other people love writing. They love sports. They're traditional journalists and they love capturing the drama and human behavior that happens in sports. What sort of, what was, what attracted you to this profession? Oh, you know, a, a passion of, about sports, um, you know, nothing like, you know, f- you know, Friday night football, you know, bringing a community together, you know, some of the most exciting games I've covered were, uh, you know, championship games, uh, the, the atmosphere. Um, and, uh, it actually became part of, uh, my beat at UCSB when I was covering the women's basketball team there. And actually one of my proudest things was in 1973, I wrote a sport part series about the coming, uh, the rise of women and girls sports. There were Title IX was really unknown. It had passed in 72, but they didn't connect the dots about that until the late 70s. But there was still a movement afoot at some high schools uh, to uh, start interscholastic sports for girls in a more competitive way. And it it all came about. And it also happened in the uh, college level, too. And uh, I covered UCSB men's basketball for six straight losing seasons. And and I turned it over to Mark Patton. Uh, I said, when Jerry Pym was hired as coach, I said, Mark, you know, why don't you cover the UCSB men? You know, I've suffered enough. And uh, um, then uh, Mark has done it for 40 years now. <laughs> and uh, they've had some great teams, great years. And I uh, was sort of sports editor. I self-appointed myself to start covering a UCSB women's team. Mm-hmm. With Coach Mark French, they built an awesome program that, you know, that had great crowds at the Thunderdome and they made the NCAA tournament 11 times while I was covering them. And, uh, you know, like one of the most exciting events I've ever been at was when they got to the Sweet 16 at Connecticut in 2004. Uh, They lost by eight points to UConn, which went on to win the national championship by much wider margins. And it was Diana Taurasi's senior year, and she's gone down in history as maybe the greatest women's player ever in the WNBA in her 20th year. And uh, if that game had not been in Connecticut, you know, I think UCSB might have even pulled that one out. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, you know, those big games are a, are a great highlight. You know, you get, you know, the excitement that everybody has, you also have, you know, and I, you transmit it through your writing, actually, that if you're passionate about it and having played sports myself too, you know, you, you know, this is a great moment in these uh, people's lives. Uh, you know, you see an obituary of somebody and if they played a sport, it often appears in the first part of their obituary. Oh, he was, he was on the Santa Barbara high golf team in the forties or something, whatever, you know, you know, that was, it's an important part of these people's lives where they actually, uh, you know, they do something that's out there for 
to enjoy and for other people to enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, definitely. That that passion really shows with with writing and people who have that passion for these topics they're they're covering. You know, you mentioned something about the Friday nights and the way that sports can bring a community together. Can you talk a little bit about that decision that journalists have to make about whether they want to go cover the Dodgers or cover the Yankees or go cover it on a national level? Because there are many journalists who, young journalists who sort of see themselves there. But then there's people like you, people like me, who really love local journalism because, well, I'll let you answer that question, but you know, you chose to stay in this community for so many decades. Can, can you talk about why, you know, you know, why that mattered to you as opposed to going to the LA times and being a beat writer or something? Well, it's because I guess it matters to the people here and, uh, and I love Santa Barbara. I grew up in the LA area and coming to youth. Once I came to UCSB, I pretty much have lived here ever. I've stayed here ever since. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, they, uh, once a Don, always a Don at Santa Barbara High. Uh, Warrior spirit never dies at Carpinteria High School. Uh, you know, you get to know the coaches and the, and the people and, uh, I've always felt good about being here. And at the same time, uh, Santa Barbara does have a links to following uh, other California teams, particularly in L.A. You know, lots of Dodger fans here, Laker fans, of course. Uh, and with Bill Burtka, we have a long time link to the Lakers here in Santa Barbara. So uh, so I was able to go to L.A. and cover games and uh, uh where I grew up was right near the Rose Bowl, and my dad went to Michigan State and took me to Rose Bowl games when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity came up uh, to cover a Rose Bowl game at the news press, my very first year, I, I said, uh, I raised my hand, I'd love to go cover the Rose Bowl. And, uh, you know, it makes for a long day, and, uh, you know, I don't celebrate too much on New Year's Eve because you got to drive down to Pasadena but uh, I ended up covering 27 consecutive Rose Bowl games. Uh, huh. The very first one was O.J. Simpson and uh, USC against Ohio State. Uh, and I thought it was great to, you know, be able to interview O.J. after the game. And, I mean, he was such an icon then. And what transpired later in O.J.'s life makes you realize we don't really know these people all that well. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we can we can uh, thrill over what they do on the field of play. Um, yeah. Um, capturing them in those moments on the field or court or wherever um, is the, the magic of it. And what happens off the field, there could be a lot of different things depending on the, on the athlete. John, you know, you and I worked together uh, at the news press. I was there for seven years and you, you were over there in the sports section and I was in the newsroom and, you know, we would we would talk when we were passing, right? <laughs> like walking. You know, you're going one way, I'm going the other. Um, we we weren't part of the same sort of you know beat in coverage, but we worked together, and I remember those days pretty well. And obviously, you had so much time before I even got there. But take me to the newsroom, like the heyday of 
what it was like to be a sports writer at the News Press, whatever era that was. And, and talk to me about, you know, give me some of the names and you and what you were doing and, you know, how everything was flowing. Because I think that, you know, people like us miss that. And then there's this whole generation that will just never know what that was like. So take me there. Well, the the, the tough thing about it, you know, way is uh, the, the hours aren't, that conducive, particularly during football and basketball season, the games are at night. And I always said, well, when other people, uh, when the workday ends for most people, and that's when the games start, that's when my work starts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, usually uh, three, four in the afternoon, everybody starts arriving, say, on a typical day where there's 20 basketball games in the county that night. And, uh, you know, we will... Uh, discuss you know what what's the big game you know what might be the headline story of the day and we also have to take national news into account you know is there a big laker game tonight and uh you know we had to have a balance because people did uh expect us to cover uh national stuff too especially if they didn't subscribe to the la times or something we wanted to make it not necessary for them to subscribe to the Times if it was just sports they were interested in. Um, so, you know, we we had all the box scores and standings, and someone had to be assigned to put together that page. We call it the agate page, scoreboard page, with all the uh, all the summaries, you know, the golf scores. You know, all that stuff had to be taken off the wires and, uh, and somehow print put on the page uh um you know it was uh it was all physical uh on paper stuff in my first 15 years uh you know i had a typewriter and uh um i i sort of feel fortunate to have uh been in the business when the old technology was used of linotype machines and hot lead type and you know and the press rolling in the afternoon and the building shaking and all that business uh so that that was actually part of the romance of it too in the early days but you know later on we i think we became better sports better uh at sports writing and and put out a better sports page later years because we had to be more uh more focused you know women's sports came in uh you know when i first worked there high school we covered football, basketball, baseball, and track, all boys. And now that was before soccer, before volleyball, before water polo, uh, and then before women and girls sports. So there's a lot more things we had to keep track of uh, to be to be a, the, you know, the, the paper of record for all these uh, different sports and activities. So, so uh, you know, we'd all start by writing, editing maybe some feature stories and columns, you know, in the, to the, go on the next day's paper. And uh, then we'd all go out to cover our games. Uh, uh, you know, basketball scene was always a busy time because soccer was also going on and wrestling. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have to have a crew in the office all to take, calls from coaches i mean we couldn't be physically at every game so we also had to decide who who's going to what game and uh so i go to a santa barbara basketball game i come back to the office and 
have a story to write up and I also might take a, another call to write up another story or a little soccer story. And, um, you know, we, we, you know, working with the rest of the paper, I mean, we, we always consider ourselves an important part of the paper. They sometimes refer to sports as the toy department, you know, because uh, it is fun and games and it's not life and death and it's not, national policy or anything but uh but it, it's you know it reflects it reflects our culture in so many ways and so many people can relate through sports you know uh, um you know where where you're from and you know what teams you follow and everything so we we don't we regard it as a very uh, important aspect and you know we we used to talk how city side when you guys had elections to cover, you know, a couple times a year, maybe, uh, you know, it's a big deal. You know, they bring in pizza and you guys would be, you know, trying to cover all the results in. And, you know, but we said that's a typical Friday night in the sports department, you know, year round, <laughs> you know, because we got to throw everything together at the last minute from all these different results and everything. And, but uh, they didn't provide us with free pizza every time we did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, of course, that that newsroom arrogance, you know, always existed. You know, we're, we're always the most important part of the paper, even though everybody loves sports, you know. So <laughs> that's definitely, definitely part of it. Um, you know, John, one of the, the challenges I would imagine of covering local news and local sports is – that community that you bring together, there's also a downside to that. Um, parents, you know, I've coached youth sports for eight years and parents are the best thing about youth sports and the worst thing because they get involved in what happens, you know, on the field. And um, can you talk a little bit about how you balanced uh, coverage of a high school athlete with maybe when parents would get upset or coaches would get upset because obviously you're not covering the kids. Like, like somebody would be covering the Dodgers where you're holding them hundred percent accountable for everything. There's, there's an element of protection involved, but you still got to tell the story. So how did you wiggle through that dance of telling the truth, but also not offending every team or kid who had a bad play in a game? Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't focus on it individual made a bad play we, i would say uh so and so went ahead on an error you know and they won't say who made the error you know and uh um yeah you got to be sensitive to that uh you know but i also i i was not in favor of covering youth sports before high school but mm -hmm. there's there was always a lot of pressure to cover uh uh, AYSO games and youth football games and things. Little League, yeah. Before then, you know, it's it's different maybe if like a, this El Segundo Little League team, you know, made a, won the Little League World Series, you know, then the LA Times, you know, had big stories about them. But uh, but up to then, you know, there wasn't coverage in the newspaper of Little League games. Because it should be fun for the kids. Uh, they should be enjoying it, you know, because, you know, everybody gets all pumped up when they win, but there's there's also a losing team, too, in every single contest. So, uh, uh, 
to me, it doesn't become really significant till varsity high school sports. Then you're representing your school. Mm-hmm. I don't believe even in covering JV or freshman games either, because they are still in the learning process, and you know, and then they'll make the varsity, and that those teams are representing the school. So, you know, we do cover them, you know, in a more thorough way, but 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 not with the total, uh, you know glare on errors or whatever uh, in a game because every game is a game of mistakes <laughs> yes um did you how would you deal with a parent who was angry with how you covered something or or a coach who uh, you know as you know coaches love coverage when they win they don't win it may not be as uh um, you know important for them to have that coverage but you know do you have any memories of moments where you had to navigate out of that those situations yeah. Yeah, I've wiped it out of my specifics out of my memory. I do remember, you know, testy encounters with with people. Uh, I remember uh, one of my. It wasn't really about high school sports or anything. I had a uneasy conversation with Eddie Matthews, probably the greatest Santa Barbara Hall of Famer, <laughs> baseball Hall of Famer, and uh, he didn't show up for. Uh, dedication of Eddie Matthews Field at Santa Barbara High. And the guy who had organized it was really upset about him not showing up because lots of people were there hoping to see him. So I wrote a column, uh, and I titled it E5, which uh, baseball people might know as the error on the third baseman, which he was in his Hall of Fame career. And later on, I got on the phone with him after that column came out, and uh he was not happy, you know, but, but, uh, you know, of course, being a professional athlete, he he knew that, you know, sports writers were going to call him if they saw them back in, you know, at that level. So, uh, yeah. but, you know, I try to, uh, try to talk to people in an understanding way. Uh, it does get on your nerves a little of, People say we're favoring one school or the other. We always had that. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear people used to get out rulers and measure how long a story was like for Santa Barbara High versus Dos Pueblos or something. And yeah, me, well, the, the Dos Pueblos story was better written, you know, it was more concise. <laughs> so, you, you know, you just had to do the best you could. And, and the great thing about it is it's always a new day. You know, nothing ruined my day more than opening the paper and seeing a typo or something that I, some mistake I made. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, in newspapers, you always make corrections. If you made a factual mis- mistake, you know, you would correct it in print. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and if, if you didn't have a great story, well, if you wrote a great story the next morning, you'd think, boy, too bad this is going to last just one day, you know. This is going to be bronzed. But then if you wrote a crummy story, you're glad that the, 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 the paper's gone to fish wrap and uh, and you move on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, and now with so much of it online, you know, you can just go in there and fix it instantly, you know, if you make a, make a mistake. But I remember those errors, and I had sort of a different view was – you know, the good stories, I was like, man, they're only going to be here a day. 
But the mistake, I was like, oh, all day, people are going to see that mistake, you know. That could ruin your day. (laughs) So how did you transition from being a sports writer to being a sports columnist? Because being a columnist in sports sounds like a triple dream job, like an amazing thing. So how were you able to do that? Um, well, you know, I'd been doing it so long and I was sports editor for a while and, uh, and I really didn't like dealing with the management side of the whole thing. So, so I sort of gladly passed the torch and, uh, you know, I mean, I got to the freedom to do more writing and columns and, uh, you know, having grown up reading Jim Murray, the LA times, it's almost, it's humbling to think you're a sports columnist because he was so fantastic. And, uh, um, but you find yourself every day, you have a, if you have a column, you know, you're running it through your mind. If you have an idea, you know, so it's a really thinking process to, to work out a column. Uh, and, uh, um, of course, columns on the spot, you know, I, I got to write a column uh, while covering the 1988 World Series. I was at game one at the Kelly Coliseum. And rather than write a game story, which, you know, the wire services would cover just fine, uh, I was there to write a column. So um, during the whole game, I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to write about, you know? Jose Canseco hit a grand slam home run, you know, that never with a line driver off a camera in center field, you know, that was awesome. And then Mickey Hatcher hit a home run for the Dodgers and sprinted around the bases full speed. So I'm, you know, and then, you know, and, but down to the ninth inning, it's the mighty A's, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to prevail because the Dodgers were a huge underdog in that series. And, uh, and the word was Kirk Gibson wouldn't be able to play, but then he starts to, he starts He's in the on-deck circle, and he comes up with a man on, Eckersley on the mound, and I thought, well, this is the story right now. And I thought, well, he, you know, if he strikes out, it's huge drama. You know, it ended with, you know, Gibson striking out, possibly getting win. Then he wins the game with the home run, and that story wrote itself. You know, and it was on deadline because it was, uh, it was in at night when the game ended, and. Uh, I remember in a in a paper in a in a um in the movie The Paper, uh that Quaid, that crazy guy is a reporter. Yeah. And he said it's like butter, it's flowing like butter. He was writing a his story out, and I, that's how I felt that night. It was just like butter writing about the Gibson home run. And they put that column on the front page of the paper, uh, you know, and it's gone down as maybe the biggest moment in LA sports history. Now, there have been bigger ones probably in the past, but it was more recent, you know, for people to remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know, quite a dramatic moment. And that was, that's the great thing about being in Santa Barbara, that I'm able to go cover a World Series game while still being a local reporter. Right. Yeah, no, that 88 World Series was, was, was amazing. I remember being, I don't think I was, yeah, I was very young and, it's like wow, and then hearing Vince Scully, you know, the only question now is, could he make it around the bases? You know, and his call is, is uh, people who watch that game will never forget that game, you know. And so, yeah, uh, 
One of the best column ideas I ever had was opening day of the uh, uh, 2010 season. It was Vince Scully's 50th season. Uh, um, I, I said, I'll just listen to his broadcast. He did a few innings on TV, then he was on radio, and I listened intently to his whole broadcast, and I wrote about the flow of the game through Vince Scully's descriptions of the Dodgers against the Diamondbacks. <laughs> and a week later, I got a a letter handwritten from Vince Scully. Wow. <laughs> Some woman in Santa Barbara had sent him a copy of my column, and he wrote me a letter saying he, he appreciated my kind words about, about his work. Wow. <laughs> that blew me away. That is one of my favorite mementos is this handwritten letter from Vin Scully. <laughs> Thanking me for one of my columns. <laughs> that's something that, uh, you know, you're kind of done then, right? It's like, yeah, that's yeah, one that, of the highest honors you can get there. That topped it. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty incredible. So, you know, you were able to cover uh, Dodger games, but I also know you covered the Olymp Olympics too, especially it was in 1984 in LA, but can you talk to me about the Olympic uh, game coverage you've done over the years? Yeah, that, you know, everybody thinks how that is exciting. I grew up, you know, following Olympics. I was a big, I ran track. So I, in fact, I got to know Tommy Smith because he, he ran in the Easter relays here the year before the Mexico City Olympics. And he came to Santa Barbara when he was coaching the Santa Monica City College team. And he was one of the great athletes and people I've ever known. You know, and he did that iconic uh, human rights demonstration at Mexico City. Um, but I didn't cover those. I did, obviously. I, But the 84 Olympics was big uh, for Santa Barbara, as well as uh, the whole world, actually. Uh, um, actually, there was a rowing and canoeing was at Lake Casita, so we had an Olympic village at UCSB. Mm. Uh, Mark Patton and I both had Olympic credentials to cover the whole thing, and uh, I spent most of my time in L.A., and two of the outstanding U.S. athletes are Santa Barbara kids. Uh, Karch Karai out of Santa Barbara High on the men's volleyball team. Considered by some the greatest volleyball player of all time. And he coached the Olympic, the U.S. women's team to a gold medal in Tokyo. And uh, Terry Schroeder on the uh, men's water polo team, San Marcos high grad. So you have an Olympics with two of the most outstanding athletes, hometown guys. Uh, uh, you know, that just that says a lot about Santa Barbara and uh, and it was our good fortune to be able to, uh, you know, not just have any uh, generic coverage of the Olympics. We had, a, you know, great human interest stories with our own people involved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then, uh, I went to Barcelona, and uh, Terry Schroeder was still on the water polo team uh, uh, in Athens. Uh, was my... Uh, and Sydney, Sydney and Athens were my last Olympics. And in every case, there was a Santa Barbara person. In in Athens, a great beach volleyball match, uh, Eric Fanoi Moana, knew how to spell his name, uh, from UCSB, uh, just pulled a huge upset and won the beach volleyball gold medal uh, on the beach at Sydney. And uh, 
And my last Olympics was at Athens when we had Dax Holden on the volleyball team and Jason Lezak, the UCSB swimmer, was out there and uh, Brooks Billings was on the men, the indoor volleyball team. So it's always been local people to cover. But also you want to see as much as you can of the Olympics in general because I, as I write columns about it. So basically you're, you're writing 16 straight days, probably about you know, working 12 hours a day, but you don't ask for overtime or anything because you get to cover the Olympics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so that's going to segue right into uh, maybe, you know, some of the dark years, so to speak. Um, it used to be great to work the news press. Um, New York Times owned so many opportunities from a geography standpoint where we're located to cover this local community, but we're so close to LA, like you said, and uh, the New York Times and, and previous owners were supportive of, of going places to cover things. Uh, but then, as we know, um, things sort of changed, and uh, it all sort of led to that 2006 uh, mass resignation, and then incrementally a downslide to the point where the news press no longer exists. Um, you know, John, you and I were out there in Delaguerre Plaza that that first day with the duct tape on our mouths. Um, you know, and you um, you stayed a little longer than me. You know, and participated in demonstrations. Um, take me back to uh, what led to you leaving the news press, and how does somebody of your stature just sort of go from being sort of this local journalism sports leader to now you know you're, you're not there anymore so talk to me about all that yeah it was a uh, difficult times uh and you know we talked about sports guys doing their own thing but we really considered ourselves we were a total uh support in in comradeship with the whole uh staff of the paper i mean we were all you were all hard-working people. You know, I, I, you know, I, I think no, no one worked harder than I, the sports guys, I think, with our long hours and night. But but you guys worked equally hard. I mean, obviously. Uh, and uh, I mean, we were all dedicated to putting out a good product. I mean, every day. Uh, and that's why we voted in full support when we decided to you you know join a union do a you know we were together with all the you reporters and and uh so we you know when meetings and demonstrations came up uh you know we were sports guys were there in every case uh and uh so during one demonstration in two, early 2007 that's when uh because of that, I left the paper. I, uh, uh, you know, I was protesting on the bridge with a uh, with uh, some seven other colleagues, and uh, and we were all uh, 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 fired the next a couple of days later, I guess. And looking back at the moment of pride for me, because there were great people out there with me uh you know rob kuznia who was covering education he got fired along with me and he uh he, he won a pulitzer prize later on at the south bay paper i think uh Lawrence daily breeze yeah that was a caliber of people that i was proud to be in their company uh uh 
I'd also consider myself lucky that I was a little older and, uh, you know, I, I, I really felt for younger people in their careers uh, who had this happen to them uh, um, because I could almost say, well, I retired from the news press. And then, and then the uh, Independent embraced me shortly thereafter. And so I, I, I still got to write a sports column once a week for 15 years, I, I I don't think I hardly ever missed a week writing a column for the Independent, and I also tried to hit on all the highlights of local sports as much as I could during those 15 years because uh, uh, you know the news press was getting depleted and not covering be able to cover sports as much, and uh, and then of course Barry Punzel who worked with me at the news press, you know he, he ended up at NewsHawk and. So, uh, you know, we we both got involved in, you know, trying to keep the sports coverage going in, in town. But, yeah, it's, a, it's sad, you know, and to see the whole paper shut down now. It's, you know, the sad thing is it could have been a, still a viable paper because the community was so engaged uh, and so such a literate community that I think they'd still be uh, subscribing to a local paper, you know, advertising is another issue, you know, made it a struggle to, for all papers, but, uh, but I think we had, we would have had a shot if uh, things hadn't unraveled. Yeah. I mean, all newspapers have been declining because of loss of advertising, but uh, there's something special about Santa Barbara that they really value their journalism. And that's why we still have, like no local outlets you know we have news hawk we have the independent and people really thirst for that important coverage um it was just to think about at one time we had so many superstars under one roof <laughs> for working for one publication and we were doing such great work you know in the community and then that sort of sort of gone um you know you talked about your columns and you continue to write for another 15 years. As we know, it's hard to come up with stories sometimes, right? Games write themselves, but it's those features, it's those columns where you try to capture the human interest. How did you pick your stories? You know, how did I'm sure a million people said, Hey, John, write about this, write about this, write about this. You can't write about everything. But yeah. what, what was the thing that said, That's a story or that's a column? Well, when issues came up, like yeah, I might have wrote a, wrote a few calls about like concussions, for instance, you know, and Jack Youngblood came to Santa Barbara to speak about it. Uh, um, it did seem like there's there's always something going on uh, that you know in the world of in the world of sports that uh, I could could glom onto. Of course, one of the greatest assignments picked me. Uh, uh, back in 1988, uh, you know, I, I would write sometimes about personal experiences that weren't necessarily strictly sports, but in 88, I, I climbed Mount Whitney with some friends uh, in May, and uh, we went up over snow, so I wrote a column about that, you know, outdoors, you know, it was it fit in. And uh, uh, David McCumber, the editor at the time, said, 
wouldn't it be great if we had a story about uh, the whole Santa Barbara County coastline, you know, have someone walk along the whole coastline. And because of my Mount Whitney column, I think they said, well, that could, uh, that could do that because it was physically demanding too. Uh, you know, some of the areas like in the North County around the Guadalupe Dunes and Muscle Rocks, you had to scramble over some, some uh, pretty rugged country. And uh, so that series, it was a 10 part series in 1988. That's, some people know me more for that than for my sports writing. Uh, hmm. Every day I would rock part of that coast and then I'd write a column, a story about it, and it would appear in the next day's paper. And uh, so it was 110 miles, 10 days, and I got to walk on Vandenberg Air Force Base uh, property, which, you know, the, is not open to the public. And, uh, and, through Hollister Ranch, I was able to walk on that. You know, he timed it for the low tides. <laughs> and every day I'd sit down and write a story about it, and it uh, it became quite a sensation at the time. Uh, I know the last segment was going from uh, Carpinia State Beach to Rincon Creek, which is the county line, and uh, the paper invited people to come out and join me, so a couple hundred people show up. And I'm leading them down the beach and uh, uh, below the railroad tracks there, there's sort of a wall and the tide was sort of iffy that day. And a wave came in, I went out right up to the rocks and and I, I hesitated. Then a wave went out and I went charging through and then all these people came ch charging after me and uh, um, it was like the Red Sea. I was no Moses, though, because the, the next wave came in and got several of them pretty soaked. <laughs> that was the end of my uh, coast walk. But uh, that was probably the the greatest assignment I've ever had and the most fun. Otherwise, it's it's trying to stay on top of what's what's topical. Uh, uh, I'll just many things i actually i've been trying to get my columns together and uh and maybe get in do a re rewrite of some of my uh career in terms of what i covered uh, uh but a lot of it in 50 years including my independent columns uh of course now uh victor Br bradley has picked up the independent as far as their sports coverage goes uh um, so I'm just sort of, uh, being a little more of a retired guy right now, you know, it sort of ended my last daily weekly column probably ended about the time the pandemic came when sports basically shut down and for quite a time, there wasn't anything to write about. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Victor Bryant at the, the, uh, independent. Yeah. As well. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I, I recently interviewed Marilyn McMahon, the late Marilyn McMahon, and I was talking to her for a story about uh, the news press debt and the creditors. And, in the you know, before she passed away, we had this conversation and I was going to do a feature story on her and it didn't work out, obviously. But um, she told me that she had every one of her articles, about 5,000 of her articles, neatly organized in her garage. And uh, 
I was like, wow, I want to go there. I want to look at all of these because, you know, I have thousands of my articles, too, in my garage, but they're not neatly organized. <laughs> they're there, but it's a day's work to, to go through them. Um, where your, where's your stuff, John? Uh, actually, I could go grab a folder behind me right now if you wanted to give me a minute. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want to see what you have. Well, actually, uh, right below me here, I'll let this happen. Okay, I got 1999 columns. Uh, <laughs> um, Wow, Jim Ginner, a beach volleyball player, had a had a heart attack at the beach, and his, his friends gathered around him, and he pulled through. A guy named John Whittemore was almost a hundred years old, and he was still competing in track. The Lakers camp was here, uh, and uh, and Will Chamberlain's death. I wrote a column about that. That hit me hard because he was such a strong athlete. Uh, then Notre Dame 25, SC 24, I wrote about that game. Uh, mm. uh, Aaron Busher at UCSB. Uh, Robert Sands, a city college football player, wrote a book called Gut Check about his experience as a junior college football player. Uh, I did a column on him. Oh, I wrote my column about Vince Scully begins 50th season. I guess that was the year. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so you, uh, you've got everything. You kept it all. Yeah, Sam Battistone uh, put together the all-time NBA team. Uh, the Lakers postmortem, uh, NBA Finals, Lakers Spurs. Uh, Lance Armstrong getting uh, local connection, working out here for Tour de France. Uh huh. Tommy Smith, Fits of Freedom, a documentary came out about his about Mexico City. I wrote that. Peyton Jordan, a great uh, track coach, uh, retired here. I've interviewed him. Uh, I wrote a feature on Randall Cunningham, who was a uh, uh, you know NFL All Pro in those days. Uh, Jack Trigero, great Santa Barbara high coach, uh, in the got into the local Hall of Fame. Uh, guy named Dave Chappell, who used to play football for UCSB, did a sculpture of Florence uh, Griffith that, he, that was put outside of hospital in Irvine, where he lived. Uh, so I wrote a column about that. So uh, Sparky Anderson, he started his career here with the Santa Barbara minor league baseball team. I wrote about him. Uh, uh Actually, and I wrote a story about the whole century at the end of 1999. Uh, I, I, I picked out 100 sports figures in, from Santa Barbara in the past century. Uh, wow. Uh -huh. And uh, I remember one of them was Ernest Lewis Thayer, might have been the earliest. 
he retired. He lived in Santa in Montecito for the last 25 years of his life. And he wrote the original Casey at the Bat <laughs> poem. He wrote it for a San Francisco paper oh, okay. on the turn of the century. <laughs> and uh, um, so I, I included him in the sports figures of the century in Santa Barbara. <laughs> Now, do you ever uh, pull the stuff out and read it over a cup of coffee, or is it just kind of there forever? Uh, yeah, I've been actually. I, I sometimes I want to look something up. Something comes up, I remember. Well, like Jack Trigero, he, he passed away. You know, I might have tried to look up what I'd written about. You know, another sorry thing about the news press is they they don't have an online database far as I know for that we can access yeah. uh, um, so a lot of my stuff you know the only uh, the only copy of my stuff is things, some things that I clipped out yeah. and a lot of things I don't have much that I clipped out the first 10 years or so and uh, I, I got more industrious once I started writing columns I clipped every one of them out uh, right um you know, it's always exciting to see your my byline. I have my last lead-type byline before uh, the paper went photographic as far as imaging goes. Oh, really? Uh-huh. It's a John Zant News Press sports writer, you know, two lines and in, in two pieces of lead. <laughs> it's a paperweight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, uh, John, I want to wrap up in a second, but I, I want to ask you, as a as a journalist about your family um i know kathleen a little bit from uh, covering her in various uh, volunteer and activism things she's done in the community but can you talk to me about um your your family and your kids and how you were able to balance such a successful career and and family at the same time because as we know journalism requires so much time it's more than an eight hour a day job yeah well that is maybe a factor in the fact that Kathleen and I just had our 20, 26th wedding anniversary. Uh, we're, a, we're a blended family. Uh, she has two daughters. I have four kids. Uh, and uh, uh, when my first marriage ended and uh, my kids, the oldest was in high school, ended up moving with my ex-wife to uh, Eugene, Oregon. So uh, that actually worked out for me in a in a way that I could I covered a lot of track meets up in Oregon, you know the Olympic trials was always there and I would go up to Oregon, you know half a dozen times a year at least to visit the kids and they would come down here during the uh, during the uh, breaks and summer breaks spring breaks, uh, and one of my proudest moments was going up there all my kids played sports but they they weren't you know they 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 played it for all the right reasons and and my two daughters actually were in the relay in the Oregon state uh track championships for high school and they uh, in the 4 by 110 relay they 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 handed off so i got a picture of them handing you know doing the handoff and mm-hmm. and uh but all all my kids have done well and uh um you know college graduates and and they're they're all just uh 
describing, and I think their uh, experiences growing up here and then later on, you know, getting good educations and and sports experience was part of their lives, but they don't follow sports like I did as a kid, you know, with a passion uh, as far as following teams and things. Um, uh, but right now we have two grandchildren in Santa Barbara, and uh, so now I'm uh, watching youth sports. Uh, uh, grandson just started his first flag football uh, just last week, and uh, and granddaughter here in town is playing uh, first grade AYSO soccer. Oh, it's so, this weekend. Yeah, it's well, starting up. <laughs> in the games now, and I'm saying, nope, I'm not going to write these up. I'm just going to just have fun, kids. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll probably... Uh, end up going to the Santa Barbara High School San Marcos game tonight. This is a big game day here in Santa Barbara and this is being recorded. So uh so this is gonna be a fun day. Uh but and but Kathleen has always been a good sports fan. We sort of knew each other uh, at UCSB. We went we overlapped a little bit. I graduated before she did, but she had a lot of friends on the football team there. Who, who who I was good friends with, and we were also mutual friends of Don Bernstein, uh, the sports information guy, who once he worked for ABC in New York, we visited him all the time. So so it was, it was, that's been a big connection for Kathleen and me. We, we've gotten along very well uh, uh, because of our, our, our interests and, and lives together, so. Uh, but it is it is demanding, uh, you know. I mean, you know, there are nights when you know, many nights when uh, I'm I'm working covering games, you know, and uh, and and not home for the to, for the family dinner every night. Uh, but you got to adjust and make the most of it. Yeah, to make breakfast count in those days. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, um, it's such a pleasure to hear you talk about your career and. This is just a, a snapshot, you know, there's no way to actually respect and honor everything you've done because it's it's so much, the little things, the medium things, the big things, and you're exactly what a local journalism hero is because you've sacrificed, you've done so much, so much of your life, your passion, your time, because you believe in the importance of providing coverage to a community. And that is, uh, you know, that's the heartbeat of a, a local community. And you've, did, you've done it for so long. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on the show. And you're soon to be a, a Hall of Famer right where you belong. So so thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate your time. It was fun uh, doing this and also working with you in the past, Josh. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Take care.